Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 361. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent Anticipation. Ooh, pretty good. I yeah. like that one this week. We have a lot to talk about, so many fun things up ahead. But ooh, top news, we have some new looks at Marvel's Daredevil Season 3 with a few rad videos, which you can see on Marvel.com. One in particular features Wilson Fisk in that classic white suit, and it gives me life. I love it so much. The panel for Marvel's Daredevil at New York Comic Con will be on Saturday, October 6th at 1.30 p.m. at Madison Square Garden. And Marvel's Daredevil Season 3 premieres October 19th only on Netflix. So, yeah, we're hyped for that. Stay glued to Marvel.com for more updates. Yeah, seeing one of my favorite antagonists looking so iconic is going to bring a whole new dimension to Marvel's Daredevil this season. So I can't wait for the panel. Can't wait for the show. So much more to talk about New York Comic Con in a few seconds, but our interview this week is with Leah Williams, writer of new upcoming X-Men stories, as well as the brand new Out This Week Domino Annual. But now, on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. Season 2 of The Gifted kicked off this week on Fox, with new episodes airing Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eagle-eyed editor Eric Goldman has been putting together lots of coverage for the new season on Marvel.com. Bless you, Eric. We have an interview with showrunner Matt Nix about Season 2, a primer for Season 2 that gives us the deets on where we left off with all the characters in Season 1 and plenty of trailers. Y'all know I love me some Morlocks, and we'll be seeing them in Season 2 along with an intensified battle between the Mutant Underground and the Inner Circle. It's going to be cool. We'll put all the links in the article and show notes for you. Yes, So on Marvel.com, besides all the excellent Marvel's Daredevil stuff and all the gifted stuff you're going to see, I am personally very excited to give an encore to Agent M's Wolverine post where we talked about his most harrowing moments last week. There are a couple more issues that we didn't discuss that are on the site and some super tragic, sad panels. It's a beautiful post. It's well-written. If you're really ready for something sad. So if you're in a great mood and you're kind of bored with it, head on over to Marvel.com. Check out Wolverine's saddest stories. Tweet me a picture of your sad face after you've read the article. And maybe I'll have a little something special for you to cheer you back up. Yeah. And I also put out another request for happy Wolverine panels because nobody sent me any. And I'm starting to wonder if he's ever been happy. He's He's been happy. I saw some inklings. I saw some inklings while I was doing a little more reading because yeah. I like to read very sad things <laughs> in public places where I get to hold in my emotions and put them on lockdown. Well... I had some emotions this past week, and it related to Spider-Man. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But Spider-Geddon, number zero, release this week. You can hear more about it on Marvel's pull list. But if you're a fan of Marvel Spider-Man, the new game exclusively on PlayStation 4, you got to check this issue out. It's so rad, and it includes that universe's version of the Tarantula. I platinumed the game, meaning I did pretty much all the things, and I got all the trophies, and I definitely had tears in my face, like streaming down my face, because... That ending is something else. It's really good. It's easily one of my favorite games of all time. Just laying that out there. Christine Din on our editorial team has been posting some really great behind-the-scenes content for the game on Marvel.com. Check out the Mr. Negative article. And also check out an interview with Christos Gage, the writer of Marvel Spider-Man and Spider-Geddon. So you get to see what it's like to write for a video game then transition right into a comic. It's a really fun interview. Christos is great. And I also told him about my desire to hang out with a real tarantula. (laughs) 
because I'm personally very excited about the possibility of that maybe, possibly, perhaps, maybe happening. Speaking of Marvel Spider-Man and New York Comic Con, we are less than a week away from the event. It is intense. Our This Week in Marvel stage event at the Marvel booth will be swinging around the games New York City. That's what we're going to do. And we have Bill Roseman from Marvel Games and Gavin Golden from Insomniac Games. You'll be able to watch that on our live stream at marvel.com slash NYCC 2018. And I know y'all are hyped for merch. There are at least eight pins I must have, but I'm probably going to buy them all. The Thanos on his throne, old lace, the cable pins, my faves. You see the old lace? No, but I, I want to... It's good, good. I love a dinosaur. Maybe, though, my favorite piece of merch this year is the Thanos hoodie. It is so silly and so wonderful. <laughs> I need it. Yeah, people have seen me in that Magneto hoodie. This is like taking that to the next level. Oh, I man. I love it. Uh, see all the goodies on the site. That's marvel.com slash NYCC 2018. site will also have our schedules, our news, videos, and other updates on there. You can see that our This Week in Marvel panel is Friday, October 5th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. I want you guys to join us there if you are at the con and bring swag. And we'll have rad guests, Jesse Falcon, Mike Drucker, and Sarah Benincasa to talk about comedy and comics and other fun stuff. But if you can't make it to the panel, we'll have audio for you as soon as we can get it edited and cleaned up for you. Our team is going to be working really hard, so we'll do that as best we can. I'll also be on stage for Earth's Mightiest Show, Marvel's Pull List, and other fun events. I know, Jamie, you'll be all over the place. All over the place. Yeah. So you can join us live or watch it all at marvel.com slash NYCC2018 throughout the week. It's going to be packed. It's going to be busy in all the best possible ways. Yes. Uh, speaking of packed and busy and wonderful in all the possible ways, Marvel's pull list this week. I was joined by Lorraine Sink. You can find that on the feed for Marvel's pull list. Be sure to subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts. Our picks this week were Century number four, Spider Geddon number zero, Star Wars, Poe Dameron 31, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider Man 310. And we loved the Iron Hammer Infinity Warps book. We loved it so much. I figured, why not give you guys a little bit of a primer on what the Infinity Warps are and what they mean to the story of Infinity Wars? It's really cool. So we brought in Jordan D. White and Annalise Bisa to talk about the story and the characters and how they came up and all that fun stuff. So check that out right now. Today, we're talking about Infinity Warps, these wonderful concoctions that are <laughs> happening in Infinity Wars. But before we get there, I felt like it would be appropriate if we get a quick rundown on what Infinity Wars is and what's happening to tell us what these Infinity Warps are. Sure thing. Well, uh, in Infinity Wars, you know you know Gamora. I'm familiar course. with her work. Uh, <laughs> well, she's done a lot of work in this book particularly. She has assembled the Infinity Stones, much to the chagrin of all the heroes whose lives she's making miserable through it. Uh, she did this because she felt like a part of her was stuck in the Soul Stone. And now that she's got them, she's able to reunite her lost piece of her soul with herself. And then what she did was she went, I'm going to throw the entire universe into the Soul Stone. But while I'm at it, I'm going to fold everything in half to smush all people together. So every person is made up of two other people. Like a pizza. She just went, womp. One of those vacuum seal bags. Is that what you do with pizzas? You yeah. Is that not how you eat pizza? Like a slice, not a whole pizza. Oh, I thought you meant oh, no, a whole pizza. I was thinking a whole pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That I eat too. a lot of pizza. Or you take two pizzas with two different toppings, smush those together, even better. And better. that's the warped universe. Yes. Mm. Okay. So how did the actual idea for the warps come together? Like, 
I have some recollection of it, but I was curious because you guys are working on them so closely. Um, Jerry Duggan came up with the idea. You know, he came in with it not fully formed in that he knew all the characters, but he was like, this is a thing we can do to tie in with Infinity Wars. And it could be a bunch of cool spinoffs of it that we can do. Uh, he came up with... Uh, the one he wanted to write most of all, Soldier Supreme, and that's why he wrote that book. But that way we've kind of made a playground that everybody can join in on. And uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, I vaguely remember at one of our editorial retreats sort of the giddiness in the room when the idea was floating around. Can you recall some of that for the audience at home? Because they don't have insight into that. It's such a an exclusive room. Sure, sure. They, 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 it was very unusual. They split us up into like four or five different groups, like clusters of people, and we stood around in a, in a circle and went like, okay, well, like, what about this one? What about, oh, who can we mash with this person? Oh, oh, and came up with all sorts of really nutty ideas, some of which happened, some of which... Sadly, have not happened. But some of the ones that didn't happen are really good. Oh, we're going to get to that. Okay, That's okay. a little bit later. Okay. okay. Is that how you recall it? Yeah, it was, I mean, probably one of the coolest, if not the coolest moment I've ever seen at one of those retreats. Just because, like, everyone turned into a kid and everybody said, you know, well, if you squished this person with that person, you know, you could get this thing. And everybody has that little bit of, like, creative one-upsmanship going on where everybody wants to have the best idea, the funniest idea and it was one of those environments where everyone really got into it. And it was it was electric in the room. Yeah. I wanted to run down some of the more prominent yep. uh, warps. Uh, so I'll give the name. You guys tell us what the two characters that make them up are. All right. so I'll, I'll say one. You say the other. Okay. Look at that. You guys are a great <laughs> Teamwork. team. Fantastic. All right. First up, Soldier Supreme. That's Captain America. And Doctor Strange. Yeah. Which is cool. Great mustache. Yeah, Good costume. Now, now you may have noticed he does have a mustache, but he did not in the original design, and he also didn't when the cover was first drawn. So, if you have the poster of Soldier Supreme, he does not have a mustache. But you know what? He's magic. He can make the mustache come and go with a wave of his fingers. I like that would be the greatest ability. <laughs> Because sometimes I just want to shave it off and live free. And sometimes I'm like, well, I'm never getting rid of this as long as I work here. Yep. That's yep. life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next one is Iron Hammer. That's Iron Man. And Thor. Mm-hmm. This one is it's really fun. It, it, Al Ewing is writing that one. And he he really jumped into it with both feet. Clearly did his homework. Head. Well, like I, I am running through all the things that I don't want to spoil for people. But sometimes I get to scripts a little bit before Jordan and I will be reading them before he does and I'll turn around and be like, Jordan, you are going to love this. I can't <laughs> wait until you get to this. And then he will read them and I'll be able to hear because Jordan is a very excited person when he yeah. reads scripts for the you, first time. Excited? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I you hear when loud. he hits those moments. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, next up is Arachnite. Ah, of course, which is Moon Knight. And Spider-Man. That one was a really fun idea because he's Moon Knight, as you know, has like multiple personalities. So we get to give this character multiple personalities, but they're multiple personalities that are all kind of based on different Spider-Man personalities. Like That's neat. he was a photographer and he was a businessman and he was all these different scientists, all these different things. It's, it's a lot of fun. That's cool. And we got Dennis Hopeless on that one. Dennis Hopeless and Ali Garza, terrific looking book. Uh, I love Ali Garza. Mm -hmm, Glad to see mm -hmm. him doing Marvel stuff. Uh, Ghost Panther. That's tough one. Ghost, Crack your brains. Ghost Rider. And Black Panther. 
You know what? My most my most favorite part about this series is is the villain, the grand villain of the whole thing. Yeah. It is uh, a combination of Killmonger and Killraven. <laughs> is it called Kill Kill? <laughs> I would call it Kill Kill, which is why I don't write comics. First reason. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, what's the creative team on that? That is Jen McKay and Hefty Paolo. Mm-hmm. Ooh, cool. All right, Weapon Hex, which I love the design for Weapon Hex. Yeah. She looks awesome. Scarlet Witch. And X-23, That's done right. by uh, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker writing it, and Gerardo Sandoval doing the art. Really nutty, nutty book. Yeah. Goes into crazy magic stuff, combined with X-23's awful, terrible, sad origins. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. So that one actually is kind of more serious, but it's also fun. Yeah, no, it's still, <laughs> it still has fun in it. It still does every time. And those are the ones that have their own series, correct? Yep, those are the five. Five. And then we have an anthology, which mm-hmm. has a bunch more characters uh, mm-hmm. that are featured within. And some of those include Green Widow. Yep, which is uh, Black Widow. And She-Hulk. We have the Terrific Two, which is the Fantastic Four. The, the Terrific Two are made up of Mr. Invisible and Hot Rocks. And Mr. Invisible, of course, being Mr. Fantastic. And Sue Storm. Invisible Woman. In- Invisible Woman. Okay. Come on. Depends what name we're using. But... <laughs> and then uh, I'll use Hot Rocks. Christian name. <laughs> Hot Rocks being the thing. And Johnny Storm. I remember. <laughs> you did it again. <laughs> that one was intentional, though. And the Human Torch. Yes. Uh, but I, I remember the room. Someone said Hot Rocks, and it was just like people fell over in like those gifts of like like the old woman fanning herself. She was like, oh, this is it. I got it. It was good. Hot but that Rocks one, there was a little bit of. There was but some that, dissent that might on not that. happen. Some people liked it. Some people really? hated it. Oh, yeah. I remember. Maybe it's just me that I loved it. But you know what? That that kind of conflict makes it good. Yeah. People get excited and, and want to talk about it. Uh, then we've got Moon Squirrel and Tippy Soar. Oh, man. I'm so happy that this exists. Let me just also mention the creative team on Moon Squirrel and Tippy Soar is Ryan North, the writer of Squirrel Girl, and... Uh, Natasha Bustos. Yep. Natasha Bustos, who is the artist of, uh, of Moon Girl. So awesome. So, by the way, oh, spoiler. It's uh, Squirrel Girl and her pet Tippy, Tippy Toe, and... Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. There's a giant red squirrel. It's awesome. <laughs> now, I will say one thing. I do not consider Tippy Toe to be a pet squirrel, more like a partner squirrel. But I'm just saying, like, you're right. Just I, past I, that. I, that, was, that was, yeah, that was cold of me. Sorry. And it's not so. just a, a red squirrel. It's a, like, breed of squirrel. Not breed. Red, a red squirrel. A red squirrel, which is a different kind it's like of a thing. squirrel. Yeah, yes. it's a red squirrel, but it's also red. It works on a number of levels, yes. as do all of them. <laughs> You guys are going deep. Mm-hmm, uh, all mm-hmm. right. This one, which I saw someone, uh, one of our other creators, who's just like a fan, really excited about this one, Punisher Pack. Oh, so good. So, well, one of them being Punisher, oddly enough. <laughs> uh, with the Power Pack. Yes. Colin Bunn wrote this. It's so ridiculous and so perfect. Four little children with <laughs> Punisher skulls yeah. on their shirts. <laughs> I don't know how to feel. Oh, you're going to feel great. It's so I'm good. Sure. I'm sure I will. Uh, then we've got Kamala Kang. Yep. Uh, who is, of course, Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan. With Kang the Conqueror. Yeah, you know, a time-traveling teen girl. It's perfect. Kamala is such the paragon of good. Yeah. And Kang is just the worst. <laughs> and so I'm very excited to figure out where we land on that. And uh, she shows up there, but she also does show up in the main Infinity Wars book as well. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit because mm-hmm. I just want to round up the rest. The sure, last sure. one we have here uh, who also showed up in the main Infinity mm-hmm. Wars book was Diamond Patch. 
<laughs> Diamond Patch, who is, of course, Wolverine. And Emma Frost. I like how you say, of course. Well, yeah, that's true. It's he hasn't gone by Patch. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. All right. If you saw him, it would be obvious. Terrific. Uh, and so these are in the anthology, but you mentioned that a number of these also show up in the main Infinity Wars book. Yes. How do they show up? What is their part to play in Infinity Wars? Oh, well, I can't say. Tell me everything. Oh, gee whiz. Spoil it all. Well, I think we do know for a fact that Loki is in what I've been calling Warp World uh, right now. And he has, meets up with Diamond Patch at the end of an issue. And he's going to meet up with a number of other warps, so to speak, for his own nefarious purposes or noble purposes it's always hard to tell with loki isn't it mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm very excited for it but where what about some of the warps who didn't actually make it through oh. the vetting process sure our favorite one you don't know which one i'm going for is it it is okay <laughs> one time i said the words diamond patch and <laughs> Annalise misheard me. I misheard it as uh, Dine and Dash, <laughs> which then meant, of course, we had to come up with she was like, who it would be. Who's Dine and Dash? And I went, obviously, that's Blob and Quicksilver. It's <laughs> so good. <laughs> I'm so upset. <laughs> Do, <sighs> Sorry, it's not happening. Why not? Well... Um, I will Dine say Dash is terrific. there are definitely a bunch more that we haven't revealed uh, that show up in, in just mostly cameos. The anthology, both issues have a narrator, as they sometimes do in anthology books. I don't want to spoil who they are. They're two different narrators. They're both great. Yes. Jim Zub wrote the, the opening and closing of both issues. And the two mashups we came up with with him for those are ridiculous and the best. It's one of them, my friend. No, but he is mashed up. In fact, not only is Modok already mashed up, and you can see him. In fact, you can see him on the cover of Soldier Supreme number two. Oh, that's right. I remember. I noticed that at the end of number one. But in addition, Modem is also <laughs> mashed up. Sweet. In, in Sleepwalker, you can see a, a, a mashup of Modem. Very cool. I'm excited. Uh, I hope everybody checks out all the Infinity Warps through the pages of Infinity Wars and all the various series. Thank you guys for coming. Our pleasure. Big thanks to Jordan and Annalise for joining us to talk about the Warps. Now, they're also working on some X books and some Wolverine books. But speaking of the old Knucklehead, we just released Marvel's Wolverine, The Long Night, our first ever scripted podcast for free. You can hear it right now online or in your podcast app. It starts when a fishing boat is found off the coast of Burns, Alaska. Ooh, Special Agents Sally Pierce and Tad Marshall arrive to find out who, or what, killed the crew. And their primary suspect is a drifter named Logan. Ah, but the local police won't cooperate, and there's more going on in Burns than meets the eye. The podcast stars Richard Armitage as Wolverine, and you obviously will know him as Thorne from the Hobbit movies. With Celia Keenan-Bolger as Agent Pierce and Otto Asando as Agent Marshall. Also features Bob Balaban and Scott Adsit and Chris Gethard. You haven't heard anything like this before. The sound design, acting, and writing are truly amazing. Check it out. Listen to Marvel's Wolverine the Long Night for free in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, which probably includes however you're listening to this episode right now. Ooh. And visit WolverinePodcast.com for more info. Speaking of mutants...
We're going to have a discussion about one pretty cool mutant named Domino. I would love it if, like, in something, they just refer to each other as like, hello, fellow mutant. How are you? I am wonderful today, fellow mutant. Yes. Uh, so Things are going great. We're talking about Leah Williams, who wrote Domino that came out this week, the annual. It's got a bunch of stories in it. And Leah, she actually wrote two of the stories in it. And Lorraine and I talked a bunch about it. I, I absolutely loved it. I want Gail Simone to write Domino books for hundreds of issues. But I also yes, now I want lots more from Leah. Yeah. This was a super fun issue. And annuals are kind of an exciting new animal for me because you can just pick them up and read them whenevs. And this one does happen to go into number seven, which is coming up soon. But you don't have to read it. You didn't need number six. But it's so cool that you're just going to want to read all of them. Yeah. One of the things is Leah is one of those writers like a Matt Rosenberg or a Donny Cates. They out knowledge me in many ways. They have like such deep reservoirs of of Marvel knowledge that I'm astounded. And I talked about it a little bit on Marvel's pull list of how there's characters in one of Leah's stories that I was like, I'm not sure who this is. I have to go to the editor to verify my questions. And she still included a character that I don't know. I love the premise of this story. Yeah, it's, it's a, wonderful. It's a support group. We're yeah. seeing a side of mutants that we don't think about as humans. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. Hope you guys check it out. But I am super duper excited for Leah's next two books. She has the X-Men Black issue about Emma Frost and her What If issue focuses on Ilyana Rasputin, a.k.a. Magic. Both of those come out on Halloween, October 31st. Very excited. We talk a bit about them and especially working with her artistic collaborators in the interview, which comes up right now. How you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Super terrific. You know, I'm, I'm excited because you're in town. I want to know, one of the things we always start our show off with is, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you get introduced to Marvel characters, comics, cartoon? Like, what is it for you that got you into Marvel? So I grew up in Oxford, Mississippi, which did not have a comic book store. What we had were like Archie spinner racks at James's Food Center, which was the one grocery store. And Shout out to James. I would... <laughs> beg my mom to get me these like Archie and Jughead digest. So that's my official first introduction to comics in general. But Marvel didn't come later until I was in school. And one of my I had some, you know, ignorant misconceptions about comics. I thought they were for boys. So one of my best friends, Sandy Pletikosik, is a huge comics fan. And she was just like, no, 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 no. And she started me on Watchmen. Um, and that's like right into the deep. How old were yeah. you? Yeah, we were we were young. So I I only learned later that like that was kind of a daring choice. That's not what you usually want to start people with, but it worked because I I read that and she made the right choice because I was just like nobody told me comics could be this way. This is amazing. So it just like has been a journey ever since and a growing obsession. So immediately after, clicked with Marvel's X-Men characters immediately and started working in a comic book shop and just never stopped loving them. What clicked for you about the X-Men in particular? Because I, I'm X-Men was my thing. X-Men and Spider-Man when I was a kid. But what was it for you? Personally, I think it's because they're allowed to be flawed. We see them making mistakes and learning from their mistakes. It's built into the characters. So it humanizes them in a way that 
you don't get at first with somebody like Steve Rogers. Um, you get that later, <laughs> but like the X Men, they're a hot mess immediately, and that I love is it. kind of the perfect description of the X Men. They're a hot mess immediately, which is like <laughs> you, you could put that as a bug on the cover, and it makes sense every issue. Well, you know, X Men comics get a lot of flack for like being so creative with the timeline. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. Like, um, people get intimidated by X-Men comics for that reason, because the continuity can be overwhelming for people. But um, there's so many arcs where you can just pick them up and immediately get invested in these characters. And it's because we relate to them right away. We relate to their human struggles. Um, while they're doing the superhero stuff. So I got addicted to that, and I, I never stopped. I've, I've made my life about this kind of storytelling where people get to do good and be good, but also be hot messes. So I want to talk about the humanizing of the X-Men and how you relate to them. We're here to talk about X-Men Black Emma Frost. Yeah. And we, Ryan and I both saw your tweet about Emma Frost's <laughs> telepathic abilities and all the garbage she must have been hearing this whole time. Is that what drew you to Emma Frost? It's my strongest argument for why everyone else should be drawn to Emma Frost. I don't know exactly why I'm obsessed with her in particular, but like there's nothing rational about the way I feel about Emma Frost. It's just devotion. And that made it terrifying when I was writing the X-Men Black Emma Frost one shot because I was like, oh, okay, I need to like rein it in a bit just because I, she means so much to me. Like it, it's overwhelming. I love that when she got her second mutation, it was going diamond form, right? And yes. like that is a way to deal with everything around her and keep her sort of separated from things. I think it's such a, exactly. an interesting part of her character because it comes from her character. Yeah, and it really just adds so much to her personality, too, because of the way that she uses her diamond form. Like, Emma Frost is somebody who a lot of times does some performative femininity stuff, like with her revealing costumes and looking good. It's canon that she's had breast implants. Like, she really cares about the way she looks, and she takes a lot of pride in her appearance. And that's one set of armor for her. The next set of armor is the diamond form. And we've seen her switch to diamond form at times when she doesn't want to feel hunger, at times when she doesn't want to cry, at times when she's dehydrated and needs to drink water, but like for whatever reason she's unable to, she'll switch to diamond form because she doesn't age, she doesn't get sick and to me, like that adds a level of nuance and development to her character that is just terrifyingly meaningful for her in particular. And I feel like whenever I re I've read Emma Frost in a story, she's not a good person. She's not a good guy. And what really just blows my mind so much about Marvel quote-unquote villains, because you can't really say she's a villain when you say all of these things about her. And it makes her so compelling as a character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I view her like Magneto, where she exists in this kind of morally gray area. But I think that um, she has this brutal heart. She feels compassion to a very painful degree about the state of the world and its inhabitants. And all she ever wanted to be was a school teacher. So I have never seen her as a villain, even when she blew up the pony, which people always like give me crap for because I'll like 
start expressing my love for Emma Frost and how amazing she is. And then somebody is like, oh, but she blew up the pony that one time. And I'm like, she was being manipulated by an abusive stand-in father figure at the time. Um, because Emma Frost comes from an abusive home and she had a terribly abusive father. So there's going to be some some not so great actions developing that part of her character and, and telling, you know, the ramifications of that upbringing. And you brought up the teacher thing. And that's the thing that always sticks in my head is like she had the Hellions and the horror that she dealt with with what happened to the Hellions. She was on Genosha and all she wanted to do was bring like you know, learning and, and, and love to the kids on the island and they're all destroyed. And then they pulled her out of the rubble in diamond form, cradling the corpse of a child. Um, it, it's like, ooh, I get yeah, chills thinking about it. It really, it hurts my heart a yeah. lot. Um, and that's the most important part of her character. Like if, if we're going to talk about Emma Frost, um, her her compassion and especially for children which has a lot to do with how she was raised it's the most important driving force for her character i think yeah and while we're on the subject who's your artist on the book um chris bachelo mm, that's pretty exciting <laughs> yeah no? yeah it is um so my editor is Jordan D. White, and when he first kind of vaguely mentioned, like, oh, I, I think I've got a line on a really good artist, and then he replied, okay, are you sitting down? And I was, but then when he told me who it was, I uh, burst into tears and had to go lay down. <laughs> it, um, it's still not something that feels very real to me, uh, not only, like, what I'm working on, but who I'm working on it with now. It's um, just a dream come true. Yeah, I mean, you did a lot of, before any of this started, you did some writing on Tumblr, just a, a form of expression in short form. And from what I understand, you kind of wrote everything on Tumblr. You just, yeah, <laughs> whatever mood you were in, whether it was fiction or like a journal entry, you just sort of put it on Tumblr, and it started to catch on with people. Yeah, and that's what I consider to be my real start with writing. It was Tumblr, and it was also fan fiction. Um, and I don't think I would have ever had the confidence to write a book, my first book, if I hadn't been validated by kind strangers on the internet for a few years. Didn't Chris Robinson... Yeah. Find you on Tumblr. Yeah. Also your book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the book was why he reached out to me, but, and I, I didn't know about this. He had been following me on Tumblr for years. I just got a random email one day and had to take 12 hours to calm down before replying yes. Yeah. One of the quotes that I really found so impressive was that Chris said that you had an encyclopedic knowledge of Marvel continuity which is such an, a specific knowledge to have. <laughs> what exactly does he mean by continuity? Does that mean what you were talking about with the X-Men timelines? Like you can just have an uncanny knack of keeping track of these things? It's, it's, it's not like a natural talent. Um, it's, it's more something that I deliberately work at keeping track of and, and learning and unraveling and understanding as a point of pride because... Before I even started getting into X-Men comics, I had heard people being intimidated by kind of the unwieldiness of the existing canon. And I was like, okay, well, I, I like the the challenge of, of learning these things and keeping track of 
the different timelines and alternate universes and what's happening in them. What is the most esoteric thing you've found or kept track of? Black Bolt is a rock star in an alternate dimension. Um, they did Rolling Stones covers. <laughs> I need to read your blog because I'm one of those people who is intimidated by the X-Men because one, there are, are like a million of them and two, the timelines. So I'm going to start with X-Men Grand Design and then I'm going to go to your blog <laughs> and then I'm going to come out unstoppable with all I my X-Men. I also take a lot of pride in making tailored reading lists for people who want to get into X-Men comics. I would love that. Yeah, I can look I at it. what you like and then we'll we'll work something out. Well, I'll tell you right off the bat, I love death. I love tragedy. And from what I gather, there's plenty of that. Yeah. So much. It's so a soap much. opera. It's, it's, Bring it. yeah. Um, so we're talking about annuals. We recently did an episode of the show on annuals and you've worked on uh, X-Men Gold Annual, which I love that Excalibur family and just the Me whole too. vibe of that I issue. So much fun. But uh, you also have a story in the upcoming Domino Annual. I do. Yeah. And thank you for letting me talk about it. I have been mouthing off on Twitter for a long time about how exciting the Domino Annual is because Chris Robinson, who's the editor of the entire thing, has done something really special with it. And he's orchestrated a whole bunch of different moving parts so that we have four different stories from different writers um, about Domino, relating to Domino. And then he had me um, draft up some interstitial pages to go between them. So they're all linked into one strong, coherent narrative, um, a story about Domino. And the interstitial pages are like splashy um, pinups of Domino, basically, because we're putting her in these different scenarios. And I was like, okay, so what's the funnest way that I, I can plot Domino and play dress up with her <laughs> and show like different utilizations of her powers and do it in a way that's just like fun and sexy and, and true to her character and true to the canon. Um, so when the Domino annual comes out and people want to thank someone for the amazing pinups of Domino, <laughs> along with like this beautiful, intimate, emotionally intimate plot about her, they can thank uh, Chris Robinson for that. I love Chris. He's great. He's one of my favorites here. <laughs> he seems Marvel. to be doing some good stuff. Well, he, was, he reached out to us and he was like, I've got a Domino book. Talk to Gail. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, let's do this. It's great. Come on, Chris. Who was your favorite character to write in the X-Men Gold issue? Because I love the um, Brian and Megan's daughter, uh, Maddie. Maggie. Yeah. Maggie. Her little through line in that. I was like, by the end, I'm like, whoa, I want more of her. Well, she was probably my favorite to write. And that was the thing when I was writing it because that interaction with Kurt. Um, the blue? Yeah, that was the first thing I thought of when I read Mark Guggenheim's idea for this, um, when I read his plot for it. Like, that scene was the very first thing that I thought of, and I can't believe they let me do it. And um, it's it's probably my favorite scene. I, I loved getting to write all of them, to be honest, because Excalibur is my favorite X-team, bar mm. none. Like, Especially the original Chris Claremont, Alan Davis run. It has so much heart and, and it's goofy. It's weird. It's weird. It's really wonderfully weird. But it also doesn't lower the stakes of the plot to accommodate the goofiness. So that kind of feeling is, is I love it. It's my favorite. Every time I see the Technet show up, I'm just like, cool, someone's going to have some fun. Uh, I also wanted to talk about the book you wrote, the YA novel. 
it's the alchemy of being 14. You have a sequel mm-hmm. coming, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you have different like methods or settings for how you write prose versus how you write comics? Do you have to get into a different mindset? Yes, they, for me, they are very different headspaces, and sometimes the transition between the two can be a little jarring, um, because in comics, what I concentrate on is communicating precisely and effectively. I don't sacrifice word count to go into a lengthy description of something. I try to distill it down, and this is something that Chris Robinson actually taught me, Um, you distill it down into its most essential components. And the end result of that, plus um, the art, it makes something very potent. And it's why comics can be so addicting as a medium. But with prose, I have all this room to like spread out and explain myself. And I can get carried away going from comics to prose because I'm like, wow, It's like wide open. I can do anything I want here. I can talk about a small detail for three pages. And that's bad. (laughs) Like, I'm not the kind of writer who can carry that kind of thing. Like, I I definitely need to practice more self-restraint with my prose just because I love my characters. They're my babies. And I will just, like, start writing fan fiction in the middle of writing my book. I understand that. that. (laughs) I totally understand that. I've actually written fan fiction as an exercise when I have writer's block. I do too. I still do that. Yeah. Have you, has that ever helped you write a comic? Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot, actually. I am deeply entrenched in fandom culture. Um, and it's one of the things that people are reacting to online. Like I mentioned about Tumblr and stuff is I, I come from the fandom and I'm very open about it and very obvious about it. And fan fiction, that was like my battle arena for writing for a really long time. That was where I, I got stronger and I tested out new things and experimented and I was doing it all anonymously and I still do it anonymously because I don't want people to find my like dirty Dragon Age fan fiction, you know? Like, the same things that I'm describing about Excalibur and X-Men is true of Bioware properties. Like, they do it too. (laughs) It's very on-brand in terms of my, like, media addictions. Yeah, I've always found that whenever I write fan fiction, I write for characters that I shouldn't be writing for, but discover things that would work for something different. yeah. Reading fan fiction, too, it helps me get a feel for characters that I don't understand. So if there's a character that I, you know, haven't connected with emotionally, the first place that I go is archiveofourown.org and I will look through the fan fiction and I'll start reading it because then I get to see this character from the perspective of people who love them. And that's really important to me to represent them more authentically. Yeah, that's what I always feel is so misunderstood about fan fiction. You know, it's not a bunch of frustrated people. It's people who just love characters so much. Exactly, exactly. want to just do things with them. To me, fan fiction is like the purest expression of love that there is. It is incredibly selfless. People don't get anything out of this except connecting with other people who love the same characters. Totally. And I think it's beautiful. To me, it's something additive. It it, it doesn't take anything away. I 
will continue writing. Um, I want to get back to video games real quick. Have you ever played The Witcher or The Witcher 3? No, that's one that people keep recommending to me because of my Dragon Age obsession. And just the, the storytelling and the possibilities within it. I tell the story, I finished The Witcher 3 and then I was shoveling snow, the most recent snowstorm we had here in New York. And I'm in the middle of it, I just started thinking about the game and thinking about the world and thinking about the stories and all those things. And it's so, it keeps bringing you back the way that like the Dragon Age games, you keep thinking, oh, what if I had done this? Or what if it went down that road? And with The Witcher, uh, it, I remember talking to someone about a storyline and I went this way and they went this way. And it, there was nothing the same. Yeah, that's I, I love that. I'm fascinated with vanguard forms of storytelling like that where people, they work like empathy engines. You, you build compassion in the characters over time by, by getting to know them and making decisions with them and experiencing things. And I also, I think that like what you're saying, you know, think, just thinking about the world and getting lost in, in it again, People outside of video games and comics, that's what they don't understand. They don't understand why these things are so prolific for us as fans. It's, it's because the world has been built up by many people over years to the extent that we can get lost in it, that we can stay submerged in the Marvel canon and just like in video games where you choose a different dialogue option, it gives you a different path. In comics, we have the what ifs. We have the alternate timelines. It's, it's the same kind of thing. We get to explore all of these different decisions and what would have happened if things had been different. And just the richness of that lore is really amazing. Yeah. Which is a wonderful segue into yeah. one of your other upcoming projects, your uh, magic story for our upcoming what if one shots. What ifs are my all-time favorite, like, books. Really? Yes. Hands down. Like, I've got a spinner rack. There was this big campaign by a friend of mine. He did. He made new spinner racks. So now that I had a spinner rack in my house, I pulled out all my what-ifs. And I'm like, I have so many gaps. So fun thing for me is now going back and going to comic shops and, and conventions and filling in. But, like, you know, there's great X-Men what-ifs. There's great, like, weird. Oh, yeah. There's a really dark one, which you would love. Okay. It's, it's a what-if about um, Sabretooth when he was, like, captive in the X-Mansion, and he gets loose. Oh, yeah. And it's horrifying. Yeah. It is a wonderful that's a, that's a horror story. One. And he murders multiple X-Men throughout the story. It's great. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I got to bring that in. You got to read that. I love murder. <laughs> uh, I'm weird. Please tell us about your magic story. So I'm writing the What If Magic one-shot, and my editor is Annalise Bisa, who is amazing. I have to give her credit for this concept because it's actually her idea that she approached me with, and I immediately latched onto it because I thought it was the most brilliant thing I'd ever heard in my life, and I never stopped telling her that. People who love Ileana will get obsessed with it the same way that I did because it's so perfect and it's it's a way to explore Ileana that is meaningful and important and that we haven't really gotten to see yet. So I'm I'm so stoked. You know, my some of my favorite what ifs are what if the Avengers lost Atlantis attacks or what if you know is you mean there like a the phrase? question? Yeah, yeah, what is the question? What if Ileana didn't join the new mutants when she got out of hell? Ooh. Right? Because they they were so important for keeping Ilyana there instead yeah. of the Dark Child and 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 oh man, I'm excited. I'm very excited. Yeah. yeah. And you're it's, working with uh, Philippe Andrade. 
Yeah, so he's doing the art for it. And, okay, I'm going to talk about Tumblr again. When the one-shot got announced, people, very young lesbians on Tumblr and Twitter, God bless them, I love them, they started reaching out to me a lot in droves about the one-shot because they love Ileana. They love her. And also, in a different timeline, Ileana's soulmate, is a woman named Leah, spelled the same way, and they show her kissing, and it is by the same artist who was doing the one-shot. So they were reaching out to me like, what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're some kind of comics Illuminati. Um, but what if it is? <laughs> I, I mean, that's what we're saying now. It was all planned. All planned. <laughs> awesome. Well, Leah, thanks for coming on. Where can fans find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter. My monster is Chic, C-H-I-C. I've had it since I was a teenager. Um, and I have a website, leahmedia.com, and that has all my other social media, too. Perfect. Thanks. So great to hear from Leah. And you can actually pre-order those two books, What If Magic and X-Men Black Emma Frost, on marvel.com or at your local comic shop. Yeah, and we love it when you pre-order. It makes, like, Angel, Warren Worthington, he gets a new set of wings. So the more that you pre-order, the more sets of wings, and then just think about it. He just has, like, millions of sets of, yeah. Like, what's a centipede version with wings? Just stop. Just don't even just stop talking. Send I don't like it. Don't don't care for it whatsoever. <laughs> I, this has gone down a path I was not prepared for. Let's get out of here. We're going to head now to our community section. I just want to give a big thanks to Jason Kim for the treats from Hawaii. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. They were excellent. We shared them with our lovely coworkers, and you made the Marvel people very happy. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. But we have a bunch of tweets and, and other posts here. First up, we've got Captain Rogers 44 says, Giving my Twim of the Week to Life of Captain Marvel by Margaret Stoll. What a revelation, and I don't even think we know the half of it. The series has really been great with only two issues left. Really excited to see where we're going, but I'm so ready to find out. Also, greatest use of a Star Wars reference I've seen in a while. Glad I don't have to worry about being, quote-unquote, death-starred. Ooh. That is pretty good. Margie's great. She's she's wonderful. We got a couple here from our friend Simon Williams says, listening to... This Week in Marvel, episode 360. We needed Unbeatable Squirrel Girl to translate for Tippy Toe. And that would be terrific if we could have that. I didn't uh, realize they had their own Twitter handles. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Ryan K. North helped them establish them. Ooh. Yes. Time for some new follows. And Simon had a couple of thoughts about Avengers number eight. He's glad to see Black Panther's new role on the team, as well as uh, wondering, you know, now that they're living in a celestial, he's disappointed and a little sad no one made a, quote, I thought they smelled bad on the outside joke. Oh. Where's Tucker when you need him? Brian Stranko says, episode 360 has me reconsidering my long stance against Wolverine. My outlook on the character has always been the unkillable rage machine. Deus, Weapon X, Machina. But Agent M and Jamie Frevely highlighted the soul behind the monster and given me things to read. You know what, dude? I liked Wolverine before. I love him now. So I'm glad we've got another convert. He's a big softy. And my goodness, things have happened to that poor guy. Now we just need to turn everybody on to uh, Modoc, 
and Galactus and all these other wonderful characters. I need to get Ed Brisson to sit down and do a, just a MODOK special with me. I'm willing to do that. Yeah. I don't know nearly enough about MODOK, except that he makes a great mug. He does. Uh, Lex Pendragon has one here, says his daughters, Inara and Majel, just found out that Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows has ended. First Patsy Walker, then Wasp, then Spider-Gwen, and now Spider-Ling. They are really afraid for unbeatable Squirrel Girl's well-being. But, he says, the last page of Spider-Girls has them excited. And so, Lex, I just want to let you know that, yes, some of these books have gone away, but Wasp is coming back. Oh, yes, she is. We've got that in less than a month. New number one in that book. Spider-Gwen, she's coming back. Ghost Spider is on the way. Spider-Ling, you already know it. Spider-Girls is coming. We're going to see more of her in that book. Uh, So I know how you're feeling and I know how the girls are feeling, but more comics coming. That's just the cycle. And I'm very excited for these new volumes. So hope they will be as well. Uh, But again, uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit more next week. We'll be at New York Comic Con. And if you're going to be there, let us know. I have lanyards and fun stuff to give to you, our This Week in Marvel listeners. Until then, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.